Well, have you ever caught yourself saying something that could very easily be misinterpreted? It might have sounded inappropriate or wasn't exactly what you intended to say, and you realized it a little too late. One of my favorite ways this happens is looking online at all these different uh, church bulletin typos that are very funny, at least to me. Things like, the evening service tonight is titled, What is Hell? Come early and hear the choir practice. <laughs> it's like, oh, geez, that's, that's not good. Or the other one that says, if you have children and don't know it, the nursery is downstairs. <laughs> oh, I see what you were trying to do. That didn't come out right, did it? Well, it seems that Paul has this kind of a moment when he has to stop and explain himself in the passage. Like, wait, that's not exactly what I meant. That at the very beginning of the passage, he says that he is a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles, which sounds a lot like I'm in prison because of you. And since they didn't have a whole lot of extra paper they could pick up from Staples, and they didn't have erasers on their pens, he had to just kind of stop mid-sentence and explain what he means by, I'm a prisoner because of you. And he wants to explain it because he doesn't want them to feel bad that he's in prison, even if he's there because of them. Because his ministry to them, the Gentiles, is worth suffering for. And that's what he explains here in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. So if you'd like, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 3. It's page 1160 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13. You can see right at the end of verse 1, there's probably a big dash in your version, that's the, oh man, I got to explain what I just said. And he does. So here's Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for whoever, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose 
that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we give thanks for your word. It seems like Paul had a bit of a moment here where he had to change his thought, but you were over that because your spirit inspired these words, inspired the whole of scripture for us to be preserved, even in this way where it seems a change was made by Paul, perhaps the last minute, but it is your change, oh God. It is what you wanted written here. And so, Lord, please speak to us through your word. For in your word, you speak to us and you reveal yourself and you reveal the great mystery, the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. So Lord, use me in spite of my sin to proclaim your word and would we receive it with open ears, with open hearts and minds and to receive it as your word and may it go in the power of the spirit to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're thinking about Paul's job his calling. And our big idea is that like Paul's unique calling, our general calling to share the gospel and be the church is worth suffering for. Now the word calling may be one we need to think about for a minute. Calling does not mean like someone is calling us about our credit card interest rate in order to lower the credit card interest rate on that credit card we don't have. Calling is not like those political parties that have been calling us all week telling us how to vote. Calling means what we feel we should do. It's like your job. It's like the sense that I need to do this thing. For married people, we feel like we should be called to care for our spouse. For parents, we are called, our job is to care for our children. At work, we are called to do different things at our job. And in the same way, Paul had a very special calling. He had a unique calling as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so we're going to look at that because that's what Paul's talking about, but we all, in a sense, have a calling, a general calling. And so we need to consider that as well. So looking first at Paul's unique calling, he is writing this letter from prison, and he's telling them, I love my job. And he feels like he has to tell them that, because I don't know how many of us would be working at our job and be like, yeah, my job got me put in prison today, but I still love my job. It's a great job, real good. That probably doesn't resonate for a lot of us. Paul didn't do anything wrong. Paul didn't commit any serious crimes, and yet in the course of doing his job, preaching to the Gentiles, he wound up in prison. And so he needs to assure these readers that I love my job so much that I'm actually happy even though I'm in prison. And Paul tells us at least two reasons why he is happy with this. First, Paul is excited that he has a new mystery to proclaim. Note that Paul is not some kind of spiritual guru who has come up with some kind of strategy for intense mindfulness or anything like that. Paul didn't figure any of this out. Instead, he got some kind of on-the-job training that he received from God. He writes this, I assume you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. 
that God revealed this mystery to Paul. Now, when the Bible uses the term mystery, it is not thinking of a whodunit story, where we're not really sure who did it, who killed that guy, whatever. It is also not like an unexplained phenomena like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. When the Bible thinks about mysteries, it is thinking of things that were hidden by God for a time, and only he can make them known. Because by human wisdom, we don't understand what's going on. The sacraments are often called mysteries by the church. And so if someone were to walk in while I'm putting water on my son's head and not know what's going on and not hear what's going on, they'd be like, this is a really weird place. What are they doing in here? Or if someone walked in and we're celebrating the Lord's Supper and they're like, why does everyone have such small portions of food? What is, what is this? It seems weird. What is going on? Unless God reveals to us what is going on, we won't understand it. And so Paul says he was given a mystery like this, something we couldn't understand without God telling us what it was, something other generations, previous generations, did not know, that it had only recently been made known to Paul and a few others. And you would think if they had this kind of mystery among the apostles and prophets, they'd keep it like a kind of secret club or cult And they would hoard this mystery and lock it up and make sure no one else figured it out so they could have the power. And yet Paul is like, um, here's what the mystery is. He spills the beans in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That may not sound all that mysterious to us. But think about Paul. We tend to take for granted how multicultural Christianity has become. But for Paul, everyone who had ever worshipped God according to the Bible had been Jewish. Everybody. It had been that way for 2,000 years. Yes, there were a few exceptions, Ruth and Rahab and a few others. But pretty much everyone was Jewish. That's the way God related to people before he sent Jesus. But that was not the way he was always going to relate to people. Because at just the right time, God changed things. And Paul lived at that right time. And he felt it was a great privilege to be able to proclaim such a new and more expansive gospel that went out even to those who were not Jewish, welcoming them into the family of God. And so Paul felt that his suffering was worth it because he was on the cutting edge of this new thing that God was doing that he had planned long ago. That's worth suffering for in Paul's mind. But Paul couldn't get over the fact that he was the one who got to do it. And that's the second reason he tells us that Paul is willingly suffering because he feels he has this important job that he is unworthy to do. We saw in our New Testament reading how Paul was chosen by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. It reminds me of how football players like to say that I play for the Ohio State University. Or how I go to Presbyterian meetings and I say I'm the pastor at the Bethel Presbyterian Church. He was the Apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Paul was not, 
He did not apply for this job. He didn't see it on an online job listing and say, yep, that's the one I want. Paul was not even qualified for this job. The opposite was true. Our New Testament reading showed us of Paul's conversion. And when he was converted, he was on his way to go arrest men and women simply for being Christians. When God interrupted his life, he was trying to bring them to jail and perhaps even death. Paul was a proud Jew who wanted nothing to do with Jesus because they were corrupting the old way of doing things. And yet, in spite of all of those blemishes and sins, God in his grace chose Paul for the job. Three different times in the passage, Paul refers to the grace that was given to him by God for this calling. Paul says, I am the very least of the saints because he remembers his pride. He remembers his self-righteousness. He remembers the hostility he had towards Jesus. But God's grace is given to those who don't deserve it. And if Paul has received this grace, then he thinks it's an honor and privilege to do this job even if he's doing it from prison. See, Paul's task had been to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, bringing to light this mystery. Paul was part of something big that changed the world. Even someone who doesn't believe in God has to admit that the Apostle Paul is one of the most important figures in all of human history. He brought a message to the Roman Empire that changed the course of human history. Paul was humbled by that. And he said, if that's what I'm supposed to do, that's worth suffering for. And he did. And so reading this portion of the letter, you probably agree with Paul that he's covered up for his stumbling in what he said in verse 1. And I imagine we see that he's correct, that if we were to weigh all the apostle Paul accomplished and all that he suffered, we would say, I'm glad I didn't have to do it, but it's a fair trade. That, you know, He got to do enough. It was worth all that suffering. But what about us? I hate to rain on your parade, but you are not the Apostle Paul. You were not chosen to be the Apostle for something. We don't have a unique task in the same way that he did. In fact, we may not even be sure what is our calling God didn't stop me in the middle of the road and say, this is what you are to do. Maybe, maybe, maybe he should. That would be really helpful. And so if we don't know what our calling is, why on earth would we ever suffer for something we're not sure about? We would suffer for things we're sure about. Like, I want to protect my family, and if I have to suffer to do that, so, so be it. Next week is Veterans Day. Veterans go and they suffer and they serve for the sake of their country. They're willing to do that because they know what they're called to do. What are we called to do? If we don't even know that, why would we ever be willing to suffer for it? And so as we look at the Apostle Paul's calling, I think we get some hints at what our general calling is. We may not have a special, unique calling, but a general calling that is worth suffering for. First, Paul does not claim exclusive rights to this mystery. When you hear the gospel, there isn't like a, one of those copyright or trademark things at the end that says, copyright the Apostle Paul. You know, you're not allowed to, you don't have to pay Paul in order to say, hey, am I allowed to preach the gospel, Paul? Is that okay? Can I take your message? That's not how this works. 
Paul didn't want to keep it a secret. He told everybody, here's the mystery, join me in proclaiming it. He didn't have a secret formula. He did not come up with some innovation that sparked church growth. He had something revealed to him by God, and he was like, all right, I can do that. I'll tell people about what God said, and that's what he did. See, when our when we feel like our church's ministry is struggling, we can be tempted to look to the newest tricks and formulas to make our church grow. If Christian bookstores still existed, you could go to a Christian bookstore and see these volumes of books on the secret to doing church right. Now you have to go to that section on Amazon or wherever you may go to find those books on doing church right. But Paul tells us the truth. It's pretty simple. We preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, which announces that all people, no matter where they're from or what they've done, can be members of the same body through Jesus Christ, making that good news known as God's plan for the world. Paul may have been one, the first and one of the most influential people to have done this, but by telling us what this message is and by telling us why it's important, he is inviting us to join him. Because if you didn't know, the Apostle Paul is dead. And the people who came after the Apostle Paul died as well. And that kept happening until we came around. We are the ones who share it today. That includes preachers like me who are given the grace to proclaim the word. But every believer is included because we are called to tell others about Jesus. We may not have some new or hip message, but this old message, it was once new. And it is still God's plan for the world. And so we are to share the gospel. That's part of our general calling. Second, Paul points out this big impact that he's making in his ministry. We can see what's going on. But Paul tells us in verse 10 what he's up to. He says he fulfilled his ministry of the gospel so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What Paul says here is crazy, really. That the receiving and believing in the gospel and the living out of its implications is how God plans to reveal his wisdom. That God says, I want people to look at the church and see how wise I am. And I would guess many of us are like, man, I think the opposite is happening, right? I'm sure you've heard someone say, if only God didn't have to use the church, things would be going a lot better. Or I believe in Jesus, but I can't go to church. Those people are judgmental and terrible. We've probably heard similar criticisms, and we can understand why they exist. The church cuts deep when it cuts. But Paul says... It's God's plan to make known his wisdom through the church. The church is the laboratory where the gospel goes to work and shows its effectiveness. If that's the case, then why isn't the world seeing it? Perhaps it's because God's not trying to show the world. We can get caught up as the church trying to be relevant trying to be in line with whatever the current fad is, the thing that we feel like we want to do so that the world likes us. And that's not always a bad thing. We should explain how the church matters to everything in life. 
But Paul says that God makes his wisdom known through the church to the heavenly rulers and authorities. The heavens look down at the church and see the wisdom of God. The angels look down on Sunday mornings and see people from all different nations in all different languages singing praises to Jesus Christ, and they go, man, God had that. God got that good. That is some good wisdom, God. He looks down at the church and sees people of different income levels, of different political parties, of different walks of life who have struggled with sin in different ways and sees them joining together, breaking bread in the Lord's Supper together, saying, we all need Jesus together. And they see that as the wisdom of God. It is beautiful in the sight of the heavens. And so our calling is to be the church that may or may not include potlucks. Scripture is not entirely clear. I think that's one of those indifferent things. We can have them. But to be the church does involve loving one another, forgiving one another, being united in spite of our differences. Paul also shows us that he suffered for his calling, and he warns us that we will too, because it's God's plan for suffering to precede glory. Paul ends this passage saying this, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's writing from prison, where he is being kept because he was doing his job, fulfilling his calling to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul tells them not to worry, not to lose heart, because if he wasn't doing this, they would not know Jesus. If he wasn't doing this, they wouldn't one day be in glory with God in heaven. We may never go to prison for being a Christian, or we may. Our brother Andrew Brunson shows us it's possible. But we should expect suffering. If we are fulfilling the calling of being God's people, we should expect to suffer. That is the model given to us. I mean, what are the faithful models we see in Scripture? We see Noah acting like a fool, building a boat in the dry season. We see Abraham and Sarah clinging to the promise of children into their 90s. 90s. We see Jacob being swindled into marrying the wrong woman by his uncle. We see Joseph being sold into slavery by his brother. We see the Israelites in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. We see Moses having to lead stubborn and disobedient people. We see David being threatened day after day by his father-in-law and then his own sons. And yet through all of their suffering, God revealed himself faithful. And they are the saints we look at now, the examples that we follow. Oh, and that Jesus guy, he kind of suffered too before glory. Jesus shows us that suffering comes before glory. And so our calling is to share the gospel, to be the church, and to expect suffering to come when that happens. And know that glory is coming after. This general calling is not just for the pastor. It is not just for the church leaders, the elders and deacons. It is not just for those who feel like, yeah, I could do that. I'm especially qualified. This calling is for all people. That means you. Yes. Yes, you. I know you feel like you don't deserve it. Neither did Paul. I know you feel like you don't have a lot to offer. Neither did Paul. 
and God strengthened him by his grace. I know you don't think you'll make a big impact. That's okay. We're not always doing things for what this world sees. We're doing it for this otherworldly audience that is excited to see God's church work. So let us tell other people about Jesus. It may be up here from a pulpit. It may be in a Sunday school room. It may be around the kitchen table at home. It may be at work, at school, wherever. Let us tell people about Jesus. And as we do that, let us live out what it means to follow Jesus as the church. Let us love one another and serve together, making known the wisdom of God by being the church. And when we do those things, don't be surprised by suffering. We're probably going to suffer. We're definitely going to mess up. But our mistakes and our suffering do not give us reason to question our calling. Paul didn't sit in prison and wonder, man, have I been doing this right? Maybe I wasn't supposed to do this. Paul knew that suffering was part of the calling. For when we suffer, we know that glory will follow afterwards. And so let us hope for the glory that comes after. For we all have a calling worth suffering for, just like Paul did. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, doing what you say is hard. It's scary. Sharing the gospel puts us out there. Being the church means forgiving people who have hurt us or living together with people who are really different from us. And nobody likes suffering. So God, like you strengthened Paul by your grace, please strengthen us by your grace. It is not in our own strength we can do this. It is knowing that you strengthen us. And so Lord, give us that strength, please. For we are hopeless without it. Help us to be the church. In Jesus' name, amen.